So welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I'm here with Chef Adam Glick. Thanks for being on the podcast today, man. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. There's a bunch of things about your life that I found really interesting in doing some research on your on your bio. One of them was not only have you done a lot of land-based travel, but you've also traveled a lot of years of your life on the ocean. Why don't you give the, the audience uh, some background on your journeys as a traveler, just so people know where you came from? It's a bit of a long story, to be honest. I, I grew up overseas. So I think I was kind of born into this life of travel. Sure. Right, from the day I came out. So, yeah, sure. You know, having lived in or been in probably a couple dozen countries before I was even in high school, you know, that's not, it's, that's not normal. No, it's I, not. I yeah. would say for most, yeah. most kids. And yeah. um, so there I was uh, high school in the Middle East in Kuwait uh, during 9-11. Mm. Towers drop and riots break out in the streets. And so we get evacuated and I come back to California and that's where I finished high school. That's what kind of led me into college, which would drop out and dropped out of Chico state and went to San Diego for culinary school. Nice. And it was that transition down to San Diego that would eventually put me on a boat. Yeah, sure. Right. So by, by going from this sort of, just generally nomadic lifestyle as a child to a, a blooming adult continuing the nomadic lifestyle mm. and then a successful career on yachts as a chef for 15, almost 15 years, yeah. um, continuing to sail around the world. Yeah. And so to sum that up, I've been traveling since the day I was born. <laughs> well, and that leads to some interesting questions. So as a young person, I mean, I, I grew up in Southern California, but I didn't travel at all until I was in the military. So uh, to travel as a, as a young person, as a child, how do you think that formed some of your perspective, not only on life, but on travel in general? Um, you know, that's a great question. I think uh, just growing up overseas is, a, is such a unique experience for any kid. And while I, I, I wouldn't necessarily consider doing it with my children, mm-hmm. I, I think it's really kind of it uproots you. It keeps you from understanding what roots are. Mm. And, um, at some point you have in your life, you're going to have to develop this sense of place. Mm. And, um, most kids have that, you know, most kids, I'm not saying all kids, but a lot of kids yeah. have that, this sort of sense of place. And I just never had that. So going into adulthood, there's sort of a flaw there. There's mm. like a, a, a twisted circuit where I'm yeah. going, I, I don't need a place. Right. I just keep rolling, go to the next place. Mm. Right. And so, I don't know. I think to answer your question, it's just a, it's just a really interesting upbringing because it, it's going to forge uh, a future that, you know, is pretty abnormal. Yeah, no doubt. So what have you done for yourself then to give your, that sense of space where you feel that you are rooted despite the fact that you are always moving? Well, today I have a cabin. Okay. And I share my space, my, sorry, my time with my cabin and my, uh, my camper, my sure. truck camper. Now that said, uh, that's a fairly recent thing. You know, the last couple of years, as it was in my twenties, it was a very different game. I, I yeah. didn't have a cabin. I couldn't afford a cabin. Sure. And so, um, you were in a cabin on a boat, very exactly. small cabin on a boat. Exactly. Sure. And so yeah. when you're working as a crew member on any boat, there's a very high likelihood that you're going to get laid off at some point. Mm. And it's not because of your performance. It's because the boat's going to get docked for months on end, or it's going into the shipyard or they're selling it. And, you know, there's a thousand reasons why 
crew get laid off. And sure. so this is just an ongoing thing with crew environment. And the beauty of it was I always had a dock card to a marina, yeah. which meant I had a pool, a gym, a shower, you know, the kind of the necessities. Mm-hmm. What I didn't have was my own space. Right. And so when I would get laid off, there could be two weeks, it could be a month, it could be three months mm. before I'm back out on the water. So what do you do with that time? Well, yeah. that's when I figured out overlanding vans, Makes RVs. Sense. I just kind of always lived in this mobile unit because it worked with my marine lifestyle. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, for me, my cabin is a sailboat. Um, in a marina, so I I kind of get the oh very cool the, the so ability totally to have the ability to have a place to go to is really important, and there is something very special about the water. When I crossed the Pacific from Long Beach to the Aleutian Islands, I learned a lot about myself on that journey. What have you learned about yourself on these big oceanic crossings? What have what kind of lesson has the ocean ocean been for you? Any any time someone can sail across say the Pacific ocean, that's a journey. Yeah. And you're, yes, you're going to learn a ton about yourself. For me as a chef, I learned a ton about how to make that even work. Mm. How do you feed a crew or sure. uh, multiple people over the course of weeks out of a tiny little galley, mm. you know, on a boat that's on a 30 degree heel for 24 hours a day. It's a very different way to be a chef. Mm. And so Going back to that kind of, I didn't know I was forging this really odd lifestyle, but it was, it was happening every day. Sure. How many chefs cook under those circumstances where a tomato can just roll right <laughs> off the counter and, you know, a knife could just, yep. you know, uh, one time I had a captain, um, he just goes full heel on a sail. I mean, raises the sails and the whole boat goes, yeah. Right. And so almost knocked down then I had multiple cakes in the oven. It was super important that these cakes baked and yeah, all the cakes fell on the bottom of the oven. The right. whole fire alarm system went off. Right. It was a big problem. And right. so these kinds of little variables are nothing that any other chef has to deal mm. with. And so it just makes you, I would say, stronger, uh, just a better chef. And and these, these big crossings, that's what's really going to show you your weaknesses. Yeah, I think I've made, uh, well, I'm not even a, don't even consider myself a cook, <laughs> but I made a lot of burritos. So, nice. cause it was like the one, That's it was like the way one, you go. didn't have to clean a plate yeah. cause you just like drop yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah, we, yeah. we found it was interesting. I found myself strapped to the stove a lot of times yeah. because of the, the sea state. Yeah. In fact, there's such a thing as straps yeah. for the chef. That's what uh, I did. Where you go ahead and hook yourself in on both sides. Totally. And- can't you can't fall out it was the only thing that i could find that would work when we were really in heavy sea state yeah. was you got to just kind of strap yourself to the but like a the pacific oven. crossing or any major crossing that's let's say more than two weeks at yeah. sea there's also a huge trans translation between that experience and going out in an overlanding environment yeah. for two weeks yeah you're on your own devices you are out there there's no calling the coast guard you know, mm-hmm. when you're thousand miles offshore, the Coast Guard says, good luck. They might come get you. But yeah, the odds of them getting there in time. No, probably not going to happen. Yeah. So. Once you're out of about that 180, 200 miles from the shore in the middle of the Pacific, I remember at one point we were a thousand miles from land in any direction right. and 16,000 feet of water underneath yep. us. Absolutely. We were becalmed and just became a giant swimming pool, which was nice. We needed that too. You, you know, lucky. you got to jump into the water. So yeah, nice. So that was great. 
talking about that translation between this, you know, 15 years you spent on the ocean to overlanding, what have you, what have you drawn with you? What, what skills did you learn on the boats that you found to be super useful for land-based travel? You know, I think, uh, in my classes, I like to say that, um, the best food I ever made was on the dock. And what that means is I can't make the cake on the 30 degree heel out in the ocean. I can't serve the creme brulee easily. Mm. Um, I can't serve soups, you know, I can't, there's a lot that I can't do out on the ocean. And so as that would translate to overlanding, here we are off-road major, let's say we're going up the Rubicon trail and you are going 30 degrees to 30 degrees all day. Yeah. What do you think happens to all your gear? And then it gets really interesting to me because we spend, as you can see, countless dollars and effort to create the perfect rig. Yeah. And yet no one's thinking about the food that you're bringing. We're still just kind of sticking to our old ways. We're not really cooking anything special. Yeah. And yet we have every imaginable piece of technology to have a proper meal Mm. out anywhere. The lesson learned to answer your question is after all that time at sea, the best food I made was on the dock. Yeah. What's your dock? Your yeah. dock's probably your home. Yeah. And you're going out for a weekend. You're going out for maybe a week max. Okay. So if, if the dock was your home, all you need to do is prep those vegetables prior to leaving the house. Why would I bring five big round voluminous Yeah peppers when I could have removed the tops that were excess, removed the seeds that I was going to throw away and go ahead and slice them up and put them in a Ziploc bag, roll it up like a t-shirt in your backpack. Yeah. Get them ready to go and get them ready to go. Yeah. And, and as they say, I mean, an army marches on its stomach. And I think that most of us can tolerate a few days of, of poorly prepared or packaged foods. But, you know, I remember when we crossed Antarctica, you just, you can only eat that stuff for so long before you you physically start to deteriorate from it. And the amount of sodium in those backpacking meals. Uh, and that was the biggest lesson for us is you've got to cook food that gives you that sense of home, maybe that sense of place that you talk about. So what are some of your favorite meals to cook that give you that kind of sense of home and that heartiness and that it brings a smile to people's faces? You know, I tend to, I tend to lean on country cooking. Okay. You know, just that kind of uh, chuck wagon style. It's just, we created those recipes as Americans based on this Western culture that we're so fascinated with. And I'm fascinated by the fact that we fed ourselves organically across the country, you know, and that's just so cool to me. And so a chicken fried steak with some country styled mashed potatoes and just some really good corn casserole or cornbread, or I don't know. I just, I love the idea of cooking with coals and cast iron and just that old school Western style, the the chuck wagon. If, if someone was to buy one piece of cast iron cookware, cause they're heavy, you're only going to bring one. What would you suggest that they consider? Yeah. You know, that's a great question actually. I think the, the, the go-to would be a Dutch oven. Um, like an eight inch, 10 inch, 12 inch. What would you suggest? It really comes down to, I don't care. See, I don't carry a Dutch oven because it's so cumbersome. They're heavy. Yeah. They're heavy and they're huge, but it is the ultimate yeah. cast iron. If you know, if you're going out for weeks, I would want it right. If I'm going out and I know that this weekend I'm making fajitas. Yeah. Then I'm not going to bring my Dutch oven. Mm. I'm going to bring the appropriate pan, right? I'm going to, 
prior proper preparation yeah, sure. know, with being at the house, having my gear and just bringing what I need for the recipe at hand. And that's the getting ready at the dock element, right? I know my recipes. I, I brought the right food. Right. I prepped it all down. I've got the proper cast iron. Let's go. Yeah, nice. Only bring what you need. It looks like you've got a Ford Super Duty with a four-wheel camper on a tray bed. Uh, what is that the first vehicle that you've built, or is that kind of an evolution of learning along the way? Yeah, actually, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, being on boats, I went through a series of different vans, eventually Quigley 4x4 van, and it got to the point once I moved to Oregon, got the cabin, you know, it's just, I realized I need something tougher. Yeah. Um, I need something a little bit more capable. It's not uncommon for me to have to cut up a four foot diameter redwood gotcha. <laughs> to get down the trail sure, and winch it out of the way. And, you know, in the snow, sure. That kind of stuff happens. And, you know, I just couldn't imagine ever having done that with one of my vans. So to answer your question, the build is the evolution of me leaving a van. What about your truck have you found to be the most effective? Like if you were to look at the, maybe your top three or four things that you, you really love about your vehicle that you could share with the audience, what, what's been those learnings, those takeaways? Um, I think for one, I, I think there's a misconception that a full-size truck can't get the job done, you know, down the trail. Sure. And admittedly, there are occasions where I have to do three, three points, four points turn sure, uh, to make it happen. But you know, I'll take a four point turn to have comfort most of the time. Yeah. And I have dogs. So that whole back section of my extended cab is dog devoted, you know, and they've got the palace back there. And it just makes me feel happy knowing that they're happy. So and talking about dogs, because so many overlanders love them. How did you decide to travel with dogs and how is that working for you? What little tips can you give for having dogs in a four wheel camper? Right. Well, what's interesting is I, I didn't, I didn't actually ask for my dog. I, I had no intentions of getting a dog, no, not even going that down that road. And, and as I was uh, driving through West Texas, you've ever been through West Texas, there's not know, much there's there. Yeah. Not a whole lot there. <laughs> I was, I was driving through and I, I pulled over to alleviate myself. And uh, as I was getting ready to leave, I, I hear the scratching, proper scratching on my door. And I look out the window. And it's my current dog. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, it's Tex, you know, and maybe so, he found you. Yeah. Well, he hundred percent found me. Oh, and, cool. um, so this connection that I have with Tex finding him in Texas that day, um, I, it was a pretty rare circumstance and yeah. it definitely changed my life because it wasn't long after that, that I realized I wanted land, mm. you know, that, that was never even a consideration for me. I could have happily been a nomad the rest of my life, but I think the dog was actually kind of a tipping point. I'm like, okay, maybe. Maybe you are getting a little older. Maybe, maybe, maybe you do want something a little more stable. Yeah. And then here comes the cabin. And a special thanks to Nimble Vehicles for supporting this week's podcast. Nimble Vehicles has been the leading manufacturer of extreme expedition vehicles since 2019. The Nimble Evolution is the ultimate vehicle for beginning overlanders and extreme adventurers alike. The proprietary lightweight aluminum flatbed combined with a luxurious habitat allows you to confidently go where others only dream of. Built on any one-ton chassis or larger with an off-roading package, 75 gallons of fresh water, over 1,000 watts of solar, and over 1,000 amp-hours of lithium-ion batteries, 
you can expect to be off the grid for extended periods of time. To find out more information, visit nimblevehicles.com online, or you can email info at nimblevehicles.com for more information. Thanks again, Nimble. For the first time, maybe in your travels, now you had this companion that was always there and he relied on you completely. And then ultimately we rely on our dogs completely too. So having him on the, on the travels has just been a godsend. I I, I couldn't imagine doing any of the things I do without him. Yeah. 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 That's, it's such an ancient relationship, humans and dogs. It's pretty fascinating. It's really cool. Yeah. So in all of your travels around the world, uh, what was some of your most favorite ports of call or destinations that you've been to? And, and what were some of the things you learned from that? I have been pretty much all the way around um, multiple times and uh, 56 countries to date, Fiji, Pacific Islands, probably my favorite. You like that? I could go back. Any okay. Day, but well, I've got to add that said, to my list then. My first boat job was... Uh, up in Alaska. Mm. And so there's a nostalgic sort of uh, just heart and soul somewhere in there. I, I'm probably going to send my rig up to Alaska. Nice. Uh, I'm thinking maybe next year or the year after, but I just miss it to death. I mean, I just, I'll never forget the, just how big that place is and yeah. how small it makes you feel. And the ocean gets pretty rowdy. Oh yeah. Bering Sea I like gets pretty rowdy. rowdy. I like a good rowdy, rowdy ocean. <laughs> yeah, you know. Bering Sea will get, yeah, that'll get your make attention. make a man out of you. But <laughs> in a Fiji, hurry. I'll tell you what, just the, the, um, the lifestyle and the people are some of the nicest people I've ever met. Wow. The way they eat and the way they feed themselves is something to behold. Something that we don't understand as Americans and we probably never will. Yeah. Um, had we understood it, it was probably in the early 1900s or some in the 1800s, but when we developed microwaves, that <laughs> that all went away. So this is a personal question then. What did you find about how the Fijians ate that was so appealing to you? It's the, the fact that there's wild chicken running down the road and they don't own, no one owns it. Got it. But someone's going to kill it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> someone's sure. going to roast that thing up for dinner. Yeah. yeah. But there's going to be more. Yeah. We continue to be more, yeah. um, this Island lifestyle. It's just sort of, it's always there. There's, there seems to be a community where I remember my, my, my captain was looking for cigarettes and he couldn't find it. He's like, well, how are we going to get cigarettes? The, the locals grew tobacco yeah. and, and they come up and they're like, here's, they hand him this like five foot tobacco leaf all perfectly dried out. And like, just take this and make whatever you want. And it's like, in those moments you're like, Oh, okay. You, you just grow it, just make whatever you want. And Incredible. That's what they do, right. And so, um, I'd also met a, a Fijian guy that, um, I say Fijian, I'm being a bit gen- generic. There's many micro islands out there. The, the actual area was called the Kingsman reef. Okay. And it's a small micro cluster of islands between Hawaii and, and so on this transit, we were in Hawaii, we're going to Fiji right about halfway. There's this just cluster of perfect surf spots. And we ended up, running into bad weather for <laughs> a couple of weeks at, <laughs> for that, sure. at that, at that spot. And so I got to know some of these locals really well. And, you know, they come up in this hand carved out canoe to a $10 million super yacht. And, uh, you know, the canoes filled up with coconuts and bananas and they're like, what can we get from you? And, um, I think in those moments you, you kind of have like a, you know, you kind of realize, um, I'm out here on this, on this very privileged situation. Sure. And this guy's out here 
barely surviving. Yeah. You know, he's very thin. He's probably in his early eighties. Um, and he's canoeing coconuts in his early eighties. I mean, Amazing. Very, you know, just, okay. anyway, it was pretty, it's pretty fascinating to see how people can actually get by and how much we've forgotten. Yeah. Um, you know, and I really appreciate that. And if there's anything that I learned from it all is to, to not forget about that. Yeah. So I like this lifestyle because it's simple and you can still kind of live off the land. And as a chef, I can go place to place, grab forage, fish, hunt. Yeah. And feel like I'm as Fijian as, yeah. And feel like I'm as Fijian as possible. Well, and it'll hopefully get you to 80 where you can still, <laughs> where you can still row a, you a know, canoe out. So those guys, I, he, I, I remember asking that guy, I was like, is he, I mean, he's 80 and he's got a six pack totally. just ripped. You know, and I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, he ended up inviting us out for kava and dinner and super nice guy. But I asked him, I said, what do you always, what do you eat? He says, I eat fish and coconuts. I ate fish and coconuts for 80 years. <laughs> Look at the guy. I mean, it's just, it's, it's case in point. There you go. Yeah. Get away from the packaged food and the added sugars. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You, know, you, you got to remind yourself and if we don't travel enough, um, you're just doing yourself a disservice because you're not remembering how, how well most people are. Yeah. With, with virtually nothing. When you look back on all of this diverse experience that you've had, what do you think has changed most about you as a result of that? Like, how do you feel inside about yourself after all that? (laughs) It's pretty interesting because, you know, um, vacations are ruined forever because of working on yachts. Right. Let's just say that. I mean, where's my $10 million yacht and my (laughs) private chef and my jet ski, you know, I, I, how am I ever going to do it? So, but at that same token, there's this having learned how happy the Fijians were in this example. Sure. And how they had literally nothing mm. in this example. And so you quickly learn that this billionaire who's not the happiest guy on the planet compared to the dirt poor person mm. who is the happiest person on the planet. It's just right there in front of you. There's, there's no science involved here. It's just cultural and it's right there in front of us. And, we, we, we choose not to recognize it anymore, I think, but I'm thankful that I was able to see that right in front of me. I mean, $10 million yacht, 80 year old man with coconuts. Smile on his face, Smile on his six face. pack, Could care less rocking about it. anything in life. And that's pretty universal around the world. Uh, you can be in the, in the most remote part of Africa. You come into a little village and the kids are smiling, smiling. Not and they're playing the and they're not, and they're the adults playing. too. Yeah, that's right. Even so the adults. And there are, of course, that's a bit of a general, there's, there are places where things are tough, yes, real tough. And Chicago is one of them. Detroit yeah. is one of them. Like, yeah. It just blows my mind. We're getting a little political now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, but that's politics are, are part of travel uh, because we, we learn in our journeys that, that people are generally good and governments are generally screwed up. And there's some version of that that exists pretty much anywhere in the world you know, maybe places like Norway being an exception, but there's very few places in the world where you don't hear people actively complain about the governance that they're living, living under. Uh, so it is part of travel and it's important to know that. Going back to it all leads back to travel because had it you does. had that understanding, you would have, you would have never even considered the other option. Yep. Just right off the bat. You're like, Oh, I get that. I get why they're doing that. Yep. But we don't because we don't travel. Yeah. And we've got to get away from our day to day and our own locked in beliefs, see how someone else lives different, maybe with another set of beliefs. And you realize like, ah, coconuts, chicken. Yeah. 
bring it back to the simple stuff. You yeah, know? for sure. You see those happy people and you, you want to be them. Yeah. Yeah. And how has that helped form your day to day? Do you bring some of those practices with you now every day? Absolutely. So I think at the end of the day, if I learned anything is that I have no desire to have the $10 million yacht. Yeah. You know, I, I want to be the guy with the coconuts, Yeah, you know? And so I'm trying to live my life that way. Just what do I need? Yeah. What's going to get me through? What is, what is not of excess, mm. you know? And I also teach this in all my classes is just bring what you need. Don't yeah. think you need all this extra stuff. And I recently went out, this is off topic, but I, I recently went out to Mexico. I was in sisters down there and camped out for a couple of weeks. And, um, I had a family come up two families actually to my campsite. They pulled out every imaginable cooking device on the planet. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Yeah. And while I was really impressed and I'm thinking as a chef, I'm like, God, I would love to have all this stuff. <laughs> Same time, I'm thinking, you schlepped all this stuff out to here? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting to me. And that's why I developed my knife kit, for one thing. is It's, it's just, you know, up until now, we've been taking full-size knives, wrapping them up in cardboard, banging them around in Tupperware bins and whatnot. Yeah. It's just, you need to only have the things that you need. And in this case, I put together a kit. It's just the chef's knife, the fillet knife, the cutting board, the peeler. Just the, the few things that I need as a professional chef. To, to, to do my job. Yeah. Put them in a tiny little kit. Do the same with everything you own. And that goes back to talking about how we own everything to go off-roading. Yeah. But not to feed ourselves. Mm. You know, these little simple things that are going to help us. And, and even the knowledge of how to pack, how to stow, uh, the things that you do before you leave the dock. Yeah, sure. Before you leave the house or pull out of the garage. What are you going to do to, to make it right? And then understanding what food doesn't require refrigeration, you know, like eggs can go for weeks without being in the fridge. Mind but, blowing how many people have mayonnaise in the fridge and yeah. ketchup and cider vinegar and yeah. just things that don't belong in the fridge. And here we are with a, a five square foot cubic uh, yeah. <laughs> Dometic fridge or whatever it is. And we're, we're filling it up with things that don't need to be refrigerated. That's right. Mind blowing to me. Most drinks, you know, you just keep them stored in the vehicle and then you, you know the drinks you're going to use for the next day or two. And that's what you put in there. And then they'll get cold and you pull them out and they'll be great. And you on don't have to have them all in there. On that same ticket, you know, going, I always translate back to the boats because, again, it's just they're parallel. Sure. Um, cooking on a boat, cooking on a rig. The food I buy for a two week excursion, let's say the first week is really nice. Yeah. What happens that second week? We ate a lot of uh, freeze dried sausages and stuff on that boat you start getting really desperate oh yeah totally and we had no more fresh food after a couple weeks had you had a little more forethought with say bringing a butternut squash yeah sure it'll last for two months in the desert under the sun with no shade oh that's a good you know piece of advice don't go bad there's so many ingredients like that that just don't go bad sure potatoes you know they'll last for weeks so you know don't feel like you can uh you're limited to these packaged ingredients you know that's smart just bring what you want you know, be smart about it, but also break down the produce prior to leaving the house. Yeah. It's going to save you so much space. Yeah. Assuming you're not going to be out for more than a few days, which again, most people don't go out for more than weekend warrior style. That's true. 
Yeah, that's just true. speaking from experience, you yeah. know, I see them out there on the weekends. Yeah. I'm the one out there all week. <laughs> <laughs> you looking forward to a shower? Yeah. No, that's looking how it forward works. forward to Monday. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I, there was one thing that we had on the boat. We, we would make fresh bread and the, like whenever that came out of the oven, man, it with some butter, it was like, it just changed your whole day. That and coffee. Like if you, I, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Having fresh bread. I love to teach people to cook because it blows my mind how few people know how to make fresh bread. Sure. How many ingredients are in it? Yeah, there's not much. Three. Yeah. There's three ingredients. Yeah. None of which need to be refrigerated. Yeah. We can pack those ingredients in our trucks and make ourselves fresh bread. Yeah. And never even turn on the refrigerator. Yeah. You know? How do you make fresh bread when you're out overlanding? That's a great question. So I like... Ziploc bags. Okay. So again, back to the, I haven't left the house yet. Let's go ahead and get a a bag of, of yeast and flour and water doing its thing. Okay. Right. You're basically making a sourdough starter. Okay. Right. And we're going to go ahead and bring that bag of bubbly, yeasty, messy goodness out to the campsite. Right. And to that, we're going to add more flour and start working it in. Okay. A little more water, start working it in. That's going to turn into bread once you've let it proof. Okay. So with that Dutch oven that you brought, gotcha. let's take that piece of dough, coat it in flour, put it in the Dutch oven, right? Let that rest at room temperature for a couple hours and it's just going to huge, nice, big air bubbles, right? Okay. Now you're going to take your coals, you're going to put them on the lid, you're going to set that down on top of a relatively cool fire and bake that for 40 minutes. Mm. Until you have golden brown fresh bread. Oh man, does and, that sound good, guys? Yeah, or what? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's and the, the beautiful part of it is, yeah, you never turn on your fridge. Yeah, um, and you used very little water, and it's going to feed you all day. Yeah, and then it'll come out hot. And, and put is some there anything better than fresh bread? I'm you, that's amazing. You know? And when yeah, you can actually get really creative with your breads, and you're basically making focaccias at that point. So sure, you have a sheet pan. You're making focaccias. Um, Let's say now I have jars of sun-dried tomatoes or jars of capers, or let's say we have fresh herbs or Mm. cheeses, feta, Parmesan cheese, all that stuff can build what's essentially a walking pizza, Yeah, you know, and it's going to fill you up. There's vegetables on it, cherry tomatoes. Use that to get rid of the stuff that's going to go bad. Yeah. And that's one thing that I wanted to mention was that second week of being out there that first week of food was amazing. But that second week you're running on the dregs, right? Right. And how are you going to make that work? Well, right. That's what makes you a chef. That's what makes every recipe that was ever born was the dregs. Yeah. True. Chef looking in the fridge going, (laughs) how am I going to pull this off? Yeah. And suddenly a recipe is born. Yeah. So, Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, One of the questions that we love to ask is someone that's getting new to travel maybe new to sailing, maybe new to overlanding. Uh, what's kind of the few pieces of advice that you would give them? They're, they're looking for someone who's been around the world. What would you tell them? Pack lightly because you don't know what you want yet. Yeah. You know, the, the more you go and you, you're going you're gonna to find after trip after trip, I didn't like that there. And I, I don't like the way this is located. And I didn't even need that at all. Why am I, am I lugging this thing around? If there's one thing that I I did for too long was pack lightly. I mean, mm. really light. I got rid of everything. I owned yeah. nothing yeah. for most of my life. Um, it's not until the last two years I've started accumulating anything. Sure. At all. Sure. Uh, I got my first bed at 35 years old. 
Nice job, man. Thank you. <laughs> nice job. I'm really proud of that. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I think if, if you had any understanding of, of my background, you'd understand that I didn't need much yeah. as, as a Fijian. If I could be as Fijian as possible, I didn't sure. need much and I still don't. And um, I would recommend anyone that's getting into this, don't think you need to come out to Overland Expo and buy everything under the sun. You need to go overlanding. Yeah. You need to go break some stuff, figure out what your problems are and figure out what it is that you want while you're out there. Yeah. You don't know yet. You just don't. If you're new at this. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's wonderful advice. How do people find out more about you? How do they find out more about the knives that you talked about? Give the audience some insights into how to connect with you. Absolutely. So um, it's Chef Adam Glick on virtually every social media channel. I've got a, a nice website, www.chefadamglick.com. Basically, if you just Google Adventure Chef or Google Adam Glick, okay, uh, you could spend the rest of the day scrolling. Scrolling through cool stuff, man. <laughs> well, not if some, in some cases it gets weird. <laughs> but, well, that's part uh, of life most, too. That's part of life part, too. Cool it should stuff, be, it yeah. should be all colors of it. So, yeah. so we've got the adventure chef collection at mesermeister.com as well. That's nice. The six piece folding kit. Okay. Um, as well. So as the knives the, fold into themselves. That's correct. Yeah. Oh, we that's clever. Versions. So that's we've clever. got a, we've got a kit where everything's essentially a pocket knife. I'm an Eagle scout yeah. traveler chef it needed to happen we, you know, there's just not a good folding knife kit sure cutting board peeler chef's knife fillet knife nice zester i mean everything that you could want to cook is in this kit cool in addition to that we also offer the overland chef's knife which is a fixed blade full tang knife and super premium knife nice um, but it does not fold okay well i appreciate your time man yeah thanks for spending time with us today and we appreciate you all listening and we'll talk to you next time 